The Power of Movement, featuring Michelle Hillier. How do we manage the flow of breath and fire? The ability to burn down, calm ourselves, and ignite passion is vital for those dealing with substance use and mental health. Movement is a part of everyday life, yet we often overlook or ignore some of the therapeutic benefits it can provide to anyone. Michelle Hillier, founder of Breath and Fire, talks about her wellness programs and work to help keep people moving. Michelle is most known for Breath and Fire, a wellness program that helps people identify gaps in their lives that are holding them back from becoming who they truly want to be. Thousands of people have gone through the online wellness course that uses personal reflection, evidence-based mindfulness, and intentional body movement to overcome addiction, relationship issues, transition into their careers, and more. Before starting Breath and Fire, she ran the Grooving Kids program, which created movement courses for schools that reached more than 1 million students in 800 schools, community centers, and camps across North America. She is also a former TEDx presenter. To learn more about Michelle Hillier, you can visit www.breathandfire.com. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the trailer for Talking Addiction and Recovery podcast. I am your host, Andrew J. Schreier, and this podcast is a follow-up to the book I wrote called Addiction and Recovery. I am an independent clinical supervisor, clinical substance abuse counselor, and licensed professional counselor in the state of Wisconsin. In this profession, the opportunity to learn and become educated is never short, and the ongoing venture of gaining wisdom to help others is definitely a passion I possess. This is where I get to share that information with you and invite guests to share their experience and work. In this podcast, we discuss issues related to addiction, recovery, mental health, counseling, treatment, and several other areas. We discuss alcohol, drugs, gambling, gaming, pornography, and other behaviors that impacts the lives of people I work with, the individuals in their lives, and the community as well. Listen as we talk about these issues because when we don't talk about them and the silence grows, the worse it becomes. Talking about them continues to bring them into the light, which is our best way of addressing these issues and ultimately helping those who are impacted. You can find the podcast on social media with Instagram at Talking Addiction and Recovery and Facebook page with Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. You can send emails to ask questions, provide feedback, or inquire about being a guest at TalkingAddictionAndRecovery at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, and with every episode you listen to, I hope you walk away learning something. Welcome to the show, Michelle Hillier. Thank you, Andrew. You are most known for Breath and Fire, which is a, a wellness program that helps people, you know, identify gaps in their lives that are, that are kind of holding them back from who they want to be. And I think we're going to get into some of more details with that, but what's, what's the story behind breath and fire? Oh, great. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So breath and fire was truly birthed from my recovery. So I, I am a, you know, been, I recovery from alcohol, um, I guess, in, you know, not a good relationship with alcohol <laughs> uh, from November 2020. And the COVID really kind of took that over the edge. But in my recovery, I was looking for a compliment to my program that I was doing that, you know, that would, that would involve a holistic approach to movement and meditation and really digging deep personal reflection, personal development. Uh, and I, in the absence of one, I created one. So that's what Breath and Fire was. And it really came from journaling and having these like musing over these ideas. And I got to say that in sobriety and having this clear headed mind and knowledge of my authentic self and really, you know, it's been quite a journey. uh, It just, it flowed so beautifully. And it's been the most authentic piece of work I've probably created because I've been in the movement and wellness space for 20 years, fitness, dance, yoga is quite new in my, in my wheelhouse, but getting people moving and in the wellness, you know, space and this breath and fire just feels like the sort of the perfect trifecta of all, all the work I've done again, involving movement, meditation, and personal reflection. So I created a three week homecoming program that a lot of people in recovery use it in tandem with their, their like other, their 12 step program or whatever they're doing in their recovery it's an, in addition to, or to complement that their recovery, but it's come out of me trying it. It was kind of like I, the things that I would do in my morning routines and, and, and how I would move myself through my day in recovery. I created breath and fire to help others experience yeah. it. 
And it sounds like I like, I like how you said complimentary because it seems like the stuff that you're doing and talking about is what anyone can really do mm-hmm. for, for their current recovery. They don't have to look at it as like, I have to follow this program and give this up in order to, to work like that program. But it seems like the stuff that you're talking about can be applied to whatever someone's doing, wherever they are in their journey. Exactly. That's not like a replacement or it's not conflicting. No. That's actually like this is going to bring more to what you're doing. That's right. And I, I, I'm a huge believer that, and I didn't make up this term. I love it, but the issues lie in our tissues. So the whole idea of I've been in so many, you know, circles and meetings and sharing groups and community, you know, just that whole idea of people in recovery, we love to talk and we love to learn and share, but I'm like, where's the body movement? I wish there was more of that. That's, and that's my passion truly. So breath and fire does also, um, you know, from a, with the trauma informed lens, because we know that when you get people moving that are in recovery, some stuff could come up. So I'm, I'm a trauma informed movement educator as well. So all the movements that we, that I work through my programming is, is really to get the body, the physical body is so part of our recovery and not just yoga, but like functional, you know, moving to music and shaking and uh, stretching and, and doing some yoga fusion stuff. So yeah, it, it's, it's been really nice. And it's not just for people that are in recovery from alcohol and substance abuse. It can be anybody. That's what you mentioned in the beginning, breath and fires for anybody identifying that they have something sort of that needs a shift. So they, they feel a little, a little off. And I think we can say that most people kind of do yeah. <laughs> feel like something is kind of <laughs> off, whether it be, relationships or their spirituality or their career or their physical health or, you know, their partner partner in their life. They're something just to get curious about. I love that word to get curious. And that's what the homecoming program does in, in a three week sort of intensive period. And that's what my, that's one of the flagship programs of breath and fire. That's amazing. And one thing that just, just hearing you talk has opened my mind to the, the concept of movement. And, and one part of it is the, the book, the body keeps a score really mm-hmm. dives into like what the body physically goes through and then how that like can, can turn into like some of the things that we see and work with. And when I, when I was hearing you talk about movement for so long, as I've been in this career for 18 years as a, a therapist and counselor, that there's so many times where we like rejected that idea of movement when it came to like, therapy and groups like I remember sometimes you know like you're not allowed to have I worked in treatment programs where it's like you're not allowed to be playing music or can't have music because that's like not good for you groups were supposed to be like you're sitting down and like a you're you're sitting like almost like a a classroom where you like you can't move around if you are like you're being a distraction or you're just like not taking it serious I remember what I loved with kids when I used to work with kids in a group home having six or eight inner city kids sitting in a circle saying, Hey, let's talk about things did not always go well, but there Mm -hmm. were times where like, if I was outside with them shooting hoops, playing basketball, like I could have amazing conversations with them and even like with each other, but it was often like, this isn't therapy. This is, this is not right. All that. So I'm, as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking like our profession, like with therapy and and counseling and substance use has sort of like shut down movement, which sounds like that's a a terrible idea. Well, yeah. And I I totally hear what you're saying there. And I I have done a lot of work with kids too. And that could be a whole other, you know, I could talk about that for half an hour. That's, that's where my work initially started was in education. Um, I still do the, I teach at some universities part-time teaching teachers how to teach movement to kids, but some of my most, you know, glorious memories that where I saw transformation was in those inner city schools where I was brought in to work with the whole school and the resistance and the, the behavior, the, when I was doing even my introduction, when they're all sitting, when we were up moving creatively to music and they got to be expressive, there were teachers going like, we've never seen students move like this. And then we tracked their progress, like after the session in classes, and we can't deny that when you move your body, your brain is more re- has more readiness to learn. So why aren't we? Where do we lose this as adults? And I, I love talking about this because I see it in the spectrum, where kids get to like that grade five, six, seven. And I have a five year old, uh, sorry, a grade five 
he's 10. I have a son who's 10. And I, so he's like my little walking specimen at home. <laughs> you can watch him grow when he was little, no problem moving and, and in a, you know, totally no inhibitions. Then you get to the you know, 10, 11, 12, we start to shut down. Teenagers really shut down adults. They're afraid to move their body because it's, they've been conditioned that they don't do it. They're not doing it the right way, or they think they're going to get it wrong. So that is my messaging. When I teach movement or facilitate is I have to do a lot of positive messaging, especially with adults that are coming to me with resistance, either in recovery or struggling with their own issues. The body holds so much. We store it down like a file folder. It's just all the issues. And then we're afraid to move it because we're also afraid what is going to bring, what's it going to bring up? So I'm yeah. really cognizant of that when I'm doing movement. Like I think uh, as well, you know, when we get into recovery, we have a lot of goals. We, you know, we get sober and all of a sudden we want to hit the gym and do this and do that and eat healthy. And I think there it's, you got to be realistic too about what your body can do. It's really, we got to treat it really gently in recovery. And maybe you were a big, huge fitness enthusiast when you were in your twenties. Now you're in your forties and you're sober. You're not going to be hitting the gym probably as hard as you did when you're in your twenties. How about gentle walks and, you know, twisting and stretching and just again, being gentle with it. So, um, I did some volunteering at the treatment center. I went to, I was a client in 2020 That's and great. I, I love it. I go back and volunteer there uh, as a peer support alumni. And I did some movement with them and they, yeah, it was, it was really cool to see that addition to their program. I didn't think about that transition part of like, as you get, as you get <laughs> older, because as more about like, you know, movement, yoga, mindfulness, and some of these things have gone on. I can think in my times where I've been at a conference and someone's trying to get everyone to stand up and trying to get everyone to like do some things. You can, you can sense like the, the audience is like resistant, resistant, yeah. or they're just yeah. like embarrassed or they're kind of wondering um, what's going on with this. I was at a, a conference last year where one of the the headlining events was actually everyone participating in, in drum circles, mm. which, which someone brought in like drums from all different places and everyone got to sort of like work with that. But there is sort of that like em embarrassment or I'm, I'm not doing this right. And well, it's, yeah. also, it's also because we're asking them to be vulnerable and creative and we get that creativity sort of conditioned out of us unless we nurture we haven't practiced it and we don't, we don't know what's going to come out and we're really vulnerable in recovery too, to make errors and to, you know, not make errors, but to, to look stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's we're, a... we're sober. We don't have anything to, to we, our coping skills. You know, that, that's what I find with movement with me on a, on a daily, I'm so tuned in. I am so plugged into what my body needs. I always thought I was even for like decades while I was uh, in like, active alcohol use disorder, um, high functional drinking. But now that I'm sober, super plugged into my body that when I feel the feels something, whether it be joy or anger or whatever it is, or nervousness, my coping before was to pour a drink. Now my, my coping is like, I need to like swing and shake and like, I don't know, stretch. And, and it just, it's amazing what our body can do to cope if we, if we just get up and move it. And there was a book that I, I forgot the title of it, but it was about so like a guy who I think like was, I don't know if he was having a heart attack, but he was having some sort of like medical issue. And he was in the ambulance and he was trying to like, kind of like shake it out and kind of like yell and, and just trying to get it out. And sometimes when someone seemed distressed, we do like the opposite. We tell people to like, we'll calm down or we like hug people or try to do that. And I remember part of the story was like, if a dog were to jump in the water and the dog comes out, one of the things that it like automatically does is like shake and move ah. and get that off. But like, if, if a kid fell in, you know, right away, it would be like wrapping them up, like keeping that down. And, and to me, it's part of that. As we talk about the hurdles to practicing it, it's incredible because the benefits are like almost instantaneous. They are instant. I did, yeah. I, I did it yesterday. I was sitting for a long time. I felt stagnant. I couldn't describe I'm like, I need to put on like three songs 
I put on three, I love EDM, like dance music. <laughs> I put on three songs, but about nine, 10 minutes. And I did my own thing. And it immediately, I kind of like got the smile and this rush and I wasn't sweating. That's not what I mean, but it wasn't like an afterburn of a workout, but I felt the, I would say, let's move some energy. That's what I tell my participants. We got to move some energy. So that idea of shaking, I love that you brought up that Andrew, because there's also something I read where after animals are in a fight, the, the, they shake after to regulate their, to regulate themselves, to get yeah. them back, to get them back. So they got to shake it out after they have a fight or after like they shake after the water. So yeah. And that's why I keep bringing up that word shaking. I've really transitioned from being a traditional like fitness instructor and personal trainer and dance teacher. I did that for so many years. And now in recovery, I'm trying all these new things that I call functional movement to music. Still, I think music is so, so powerful, but shaking, twisting, rotating, jumping, swaying, like functional movements. That's what I call them. So they're really like not intimidating for anybody. And humming. I've heard of humming. Humming, yes. Being, um, there's a couple of like books I've read sometimes like that's trauma related where there's an exercise on like just, just humming and, and doing mm -hmm. that, which is, it's almost like we, it's it's not complicated and to us it seems like it should be more complicated yeah in order for this to be considered you know like really you know, evidence yeah. and, and and stuff like that but it it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. you know it Keep doesn't it have to be do this for six to eight weeks and then you'll feel something or you know you need three months of this in order to Mm -hmm. to experience like some, some benefit or relief, like the things that you're talking about, you could do that right in the moment and you can, can. feel some sort of benefit with really not a lot of risk, like not the, a lot of risk. The, the risk is embarrassment. Maybe, That's, but if you're on your own, you, yeah. gotta get, you have to get out of your own head. Like I feel ridiculous. Oh, well, <laughs> like gotta get over, <laughs> get over it. But yeah, it's, it's uh, and it can, it, that you're right. The results are instantaneous and it really resets your everything like your nervous system your on a cellular level even even padding like padding your body um grabbing your own body mm -hmm. but yeah so i'm really tapping like the chest that. like the heart yep. I've, I've heard of doing that um yep. I, it's it's interesting that we were talking about this because one of the things i saw was like your ted video right, right. The TEDx video and part of me was, was watching you do this and as a clinician a part of me was like okay when's this gonna end and she's gonna start doing like a talk or like a, a presentation because most of those mm -hmm. are one person talking and everyone else is is listening and, and paying attention but your your session was the whole audience was the presenters in part a way it. like you were okay. leading it but like everyone there was a part of it and there didn't need to be any more like there was no like where's the slide that has this this amazing like oh my goodness like you're, you're just waiting for this this bite yeah. of knowledge, but right. it, it didn't need that. That's not what it was for at all. No, it's how I, I, when I'm on stages like that, I want to leave the audience with not information, but how they feel. How do you feel after that? So they have to be involved. I can give them all the information about the power of movement and why it's beneficial, but I really want them to, it's, it has to be experiential and it has to leave them with a feeling like, Oh, if that's the, if that's the effect of my presentations. Now that one was like a lot more movement. I do have a keynote that has more, a little more talking, sharing my story, but anything I do, even if somebody books me for like a 10 minute, as you were mentioning, conference activation, and they want me just, just to do something kind of high energy. I always say, we're going to do some meditation movement and a little personal reflection or like, you know, set the tone for the day or whatever it is. Those three pillars are in everything I do. If it's five minutes or one hour or three hours. Yeah. They're That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like the idea of like, if, if someone can walk away from something, you know, there's that knowledge piece that I could, Oh, I listened to this presenter and they shared this and I heard this and I can walk away, you know, sort of, knowing that and sharing that, but it's a, a lot different when someone can walk away with, this is what I've experienced Yeah, or how I felt. I was, so right. nervous, but, you know, I didn't think I'd do it, but I did it. And I felt so out of my comfort zone, but I did it. And that's the, that's the lasting memory of how it affected them. Yeah. That's, that's really incredible. And I, I'm glad to see it more often. Like I said, the, the mm. drum circle seeing, you know, 
people talk about like get up stand like let's move around let's let's shake let's do this it's I've seen it more now than I have when I first started because that's mm-hmm. just I just wish I would see it I'm still waiting for more of a bridge into work with actual like clients and patients like right. seeing more where it's like not just discussed breathing techniques, but like but actually doing it. You know, yeah. yeah. Like did, that- did a humming or doing something like this. Like I want to see more of that, like actually applied with clients and patients and seeing that actually like even, you know, documented that this was a, a, a method that we use to help. Well, maybe you and I are onto something here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why, I mean, that'd be great to see. Cause I, cause my- I would, I mean, I saw such an absence in the treatment center I went to in terms of movement only cause that's my lens. I understand I'm biased. I come in with a biased opinion saying one yoga class a week, like where's the, this, where's the, that, aren't we singing? Aren't we drumming? Aren't we doing more, you know, movement stuff, but that, that was okay. Just it's how it rolls. But even in uh, recovery, when people are in recovery, I'm starting to that, and that's why homecoming, I created that, like I said, to be a complimentary or in tandem to someone's foundational 12 step program or whatever program they are working in their recovery. But then I'd also like to see the creation of like a breath and fire for recovery, where it's an hour long, um, half an hour sharing circle, half an hour movement. And it's something that people could go to not to replace a 12 step meeting, but we would, I would share like a quote or a reading or something we'd share as a group. And then we would move together and I would invite people in all walks of recovery to, to come or loved ones or anything, anybody involved in recovery. Yeah. That's a good question. I was going to ask you, have you done any of this work or seen this done with family members or or loved ones or significant others as well? Not, not yet. I mean, I only, I launched breath and fire in April. So I have only worked with people either in recovery or just regular, you know, humans that, want to get curious about moving their body more or to making a little change in their life. But that's definitely something I'd be completely open to is a family friendly breath and fire for recovery experience. Yeah. Cause I know like with, you know, that's always been a, you know, incorporate family members into the other's recovery and treatment. And there's been so many ways of doing that with, you know, everything from like, retreats to like, you know, mm-hmm. one day workshops to different activities and exercises. But I, I get the idea that the, the movement stuff mm-hmm. and everything is like a great way to get everyone on a same page. It would that that's a lot easier than to be like, well, you know what, we're all going to talk about why you don't trust right this person, or we're going to talk about like family dynamics we're going to discuss you know family roles and what's going on here and yeah. all that like i feel like the movement aspect would be a way to get people together on at least as close as we can to a place where vulnerability can start mm-hmm. or we're in this together we're, I was gonna we're say all vulnerability. feeling the benefit yeah. I, I think that would be really beneficial also to the the family members and loved ones who are impacted by someone's use. And it's just, you know what, let's be honest. Well, from my experience, it's just also a really fun experience to, to, to do with your family members that you're going through such, you know, such hard stuff together, recovery and, and digging up trauma and doing therapy. If you had that one outlet that you had with other family members in recovery with, from other, you know, groups, it would just be a really nice, positive experience as well with benefits attached to it. So, okay. Yeah. My brain, my brain is going now, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. That's great though. Cause I think that's, that's just, you know, ways to connect the, the other people that are involved and it's so hard to do. And this is a way that can do that without what someone might worry about. You know, I don't want to go there and talk about these things or I don't want to mm-hmm. share these things, but if I go there and it's about doing this, like this is it's a good starting point. You know? it's, it's a, a great good- starting point. And yeah. we could open up, I could open up a sharing circle. That was my idea at the end, not, you know, something light and, and that everyone could contribute or you could pass. So it still would have a little depth to it, but it would involve some movement meditation as well. One of the things that I found on your, your website about, you know, description about what you do in the story was you, you often ask clients to describe 
the last time they felt like themselves. I think that's amazing and incredible. I'm very curious, like where that came from and Mm -hmm. what you do with someone when you, you ask that, because I can tell you, that's not like a common intake question or assessment question. You know, that's, it's not even really a diagnostic question, but I think it's, there's something onto to that about when's the last time you felt like yourself. So can you shed light on that whole? Sure. Concept? Yeah, absolutely. That, so that question came from me getting, you know, getting to my recovery state of recovery now and sober sobriety where I was like, what happened along the way? So I, I track back to when I, when did I feel like what, like what happened to me to get to the point where I had to be at a treatment center and you know, life sort of crumbled around me during COVID. Now it was definitely situational um, because of COVID kind of took what was already going on and like just accelerated everything because of the isolation and the loss of work and everything around it. As you, everyone has a story with COVID, but I thought, you know, okay, I'm 46 at the time. And when did I, like, what happened along the way? When did alcohol play a role for me? And I, I was attaching it to my substance use. And I thought, you know what, I think when I was about 24 and I graduated university, worked on a cruise ship, I had this anything is possible sort of attitude and outlook on life. And I truly felt it. And then I, I, I look at sort of all the decisions and things I did along the 20 years that did not tap into. And I knew I had this inner knowing when I was making those decisions or getting into those relationships or taking those jobs or anything along the way, I knew my inner voice, my home knew something was off, but I went with it. And then along the way, drinking sort of helped me take, like tolerate those decisions. So whenever they would really manifest, like with a job or with when I, you know, my loss of my father or anything that was really tough, I knew deep down, I wasn't living this authentic life that I knew was possible. So that's when the, the substance use would really ramp up. So asking somebody, when did you actually feel like yourself? And you, what I'm trying to tap into is what's changed along the way and what are you doing to, to cope with, like, how are you handling knowing that you're not living your authentic self? And that's a, it is a, you're right. It's a huge question to ask. And oftentimes people get really stumped on it because they, they think, well, I mean, I'm so different now, but I have all these things I have to do now. I have a mortgage and I have a career and I have children. I can't be like that version of myself, but we can tap into like, how did you feel back then? What, like, it's just, it's just scratching the surface a little bit to just get people thinking about what was going on when you felt like your authentic self. And can we, can we get there a little bit again? What changes can you make to get back to that man or woman or girl or boy? So yeah, it's a big question. Yeah, it's a big identity piece. You it's know, a which, big identity piece. And I connect which, my my sobriety or my, 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 I guess, drinking. Anytime I felt like my identity was being taken is in the wrong. I don't want to say the word taken, but that um, like I had double hip replacement in 2018. So my identity as a movement person, dancer, strong, that like drinking ramped up during that time. When I had the birth of my son, who I like adore to death, he's 10, but my identity as a woman on stage presenting and traveling business owner was taken. I had to become a mom. When my dad died, becoming like a, a daughter of a, a lot loss of a parent, my mom getting dementia, like all these things where my identity was being taken. And yes, they are life, big life things, but I was coping the wrong way. I was coping with alcohol. Yeah. And I think that's something where like as humans, we all have that identity work and, you know, discovery mm-hmm. and lost and like constantly like looking at that. But then you add like substance use, you add addiction to it. And that is a whole nother component to that identity piece. And I, I know that there's identity work that's done in like substance use, like treatment and recovery. I, I don't think it's necessarily called that, mm. but I, I, I don't think we do enough of like that, that exploration of like self and identity. And I think this is a, a great question that really gets people to even reflect on it. And I imagine if I asked that to someone and they, they were silent one, then we get into that, who can be more comfortable being silent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. In my, in, in my time, I've learned to 
appreciate that versus you know jumping to say something to to stop it but also like i don't know i wouldn't expect someone to necessarily have to know that answer you know i no no i agree and and that pause um because you're asking them to think like when well, I oftentimes would talk with clients too, and they'll say, I used to be so, you know, X, X, Y, and Z, whatever. I used to be so outgoing. I don't know what happened to me. I used to be so comfortable in my own body. I don't know what happened. And then you just sort of like start asking questions. Like there's no, something did happen. Let's get curious about it. Yeah, that's great. I really like to, to consider that about, you know, when's, when's the last time you felt like yourself. And I can imagine with some people, you know, that answer is, is could be years ago. I'll, it could be in their I'll, teenager. I'd ask someone and they yeah. said, when I was a camp counselor. I was like, she, she's in her forties. When I was a camp counselor, every summer in my teens, I was just myself. I was funny. I was the world. I took risks. I would, I would people gravitated towards me. It's like, what happened? Yeah. Does that, does that also attach to the idea with part of the description of the program was, you know, like with the bridging gaps or, or finding mm-hmm. those gaps, is there a, a correlation with that? There is. Yeah. So in week one of the program, they identify, I have it, I call it the faded life and I have different categories, almost like the wheel of life where you're looking at ranking relationships and, you know, physical health, emotional health, where you live, your career. And then in the third week after work in this first and second week, journaling and doing some other activities, we then look at like the bright life, like what would it look like? How important it is, is to you. So if you're ranking your physical health at currently at a one out of five, and but it, it's a five out of five important to you, then we got to we got to look at that. So they can actually take their sheet of the ranking, their little flames, and then they can put it like up against a light and see exactly what, where the gaps are, where they, what currently is going on and what they find is important. And then the third week we create this sort of roadmap home where we give ideas, how they can start making small shifts. And I know it's a very short three week intensive program. It's not a big, you know, it's not a six month coaching program. It is intensive. It's for the right client that is like ready to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And it involves the big piece too. It involves movement and meditation. So oftentimes people sign up and they can register anywhere because we do it on Zoom at 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. So I'm developing this idea of a morning routine for people uh, with the importance of getting your body up and moving to, and I guide it on Zoom, meditating and then journaling right in the morning and then an evening as well. So it, it has, yes, they're doing this personal self-directed work, but they also are guided by me three times a week. Uh, connected over zoom so they have people from all over canada some from the u.s have have registered the last programs so yeah now would i be in my mind i'm connecting this a little bit to some people might be like well i can breathe on my own i can shake on my own but to me it also sounds a little bit like the physical therapy trap you know like Hmm. someone can be shown how to do the physical therapy exercises but when they go home or yeah, then it was me. I didn't, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm the word I'm like, give me, show me the exercises and give me the band, give me the ball. And then I'll look at it and go, Oh, I wish I could just go see him and he could have to do this with me. Right. It's the, it's the accountability, Andrew, people pressing click on the zoom, the 12 tiles or 20 tiles, whatever's there are there. Welcome. Everyone has their screens on. There is so much more accountability when you are showing up for somebody. And I, I lead you through it. Like you get kind of just get to, be an open participant. And I, I, I will do that for you, but the breathing, it is, it is guided. So, and it's, you know, there's techniques. You're right though. Someone could say, Oh, I could put on an app and listen to that. But I, it, again, it's the group accountability that you're showing up and you feel good. We feel good when we show up for something. Right. Now yeah. the, uh, the movements, all that, I can see where the, the breath part comes in. Can we talk about the fire? What's yeah. where, where's the concept with the the fire? I, I, I want to hear yeah. about so that. Yeah, yeah. The breath. So the breath part was something that I realized I needed more of in my in my life. Breath for me. So breath and fire represent two things. So the breath is the calming, the grounding, the solitude, the introvert side of me, like the going in. The fire is people's passion and extroversion and being in crowds and doing hobbies and moving, you know, all that stuff that, that when you're at that level, 
And I realized that the last 25 years I've been on fire. Like I've had, I've been a blazing inferno and I did not know how to find my calm. I didn't even have the self knowledge or to tap into that, to know when I needed to, I had no self-regulation. I would just, it was very chaotic. I would call my life chaotic, but I thought it looked just that's how I live. I say yes to everything. I have, I had serious FOMO my whole life before I got in recovery. So I would, wouldn't want to miss a party, (laughs) wouldn't want to miss anything. And I would just be running on this on fire. And uh, so now that I found ways to calm myself, perfect example, I'm in a social gathering. I would have stayed right to the end, been the last one there. And that's part, part of the alcohol, where alcohol comes into it as well. It would have me tolerate situations that I would no longer, you know, really want to be at, but I'd stay longer because of what was going on. But now I have so much awareness. It's about this high level of self-awareness. I've been on fire for like three hours. I need to go home. Like I need to tap out and go home and find my breath. And that might mean just leaving and going for a walk on the water, coming home, having a rest or meditating or anything, having a bath. So I really am highly aware of my breath and my fire. And I'm, and we take an inventory, our first journal in the homecoming program day one is we take a breath and fire inventory, what brings you joy and then categorize it in breath and in fire. So you're developing your own sort of tools that, and then it's, then it's recognizing when you need one or the other, because there's also days where I'm very calm, quiet, and I haven't really talked to anybody admin work day. And I know I need some fire. That's rare. Cause I'm usually bringing me, I usually need breath, <laughs> but there are days when like, I need to get out. I need to make a phone call. I need to go move my body. I need to see people what's going on tonight, but it's this, I want to find the blade, like not the blazing inferno, not the pilot light, which I was flickering on during COVID when things were really, really dim. I want to find this controlled blaze and that's awareness of when I need both in my yeah. day. Yeah. My mind that, that creates, you know, so much connection with like, you know, substance use addiction like that causes mm-hmm. you know the inferno at times and and can You're burn gasoline on yeah. the and then alcohol yeah but then using you know breath to to calm to peace and all that but then i've also seen some people who they no longer are using substances and no longer engaging in some behaviors and there isn't just this automatic passion i think that's a mm. i think that's a one of the common misconceptions, you know, like, Oh, get sober and everything will be great. You know, like stop using and everything's going to be fantastic. All the problems will go away. And that, that sounds like a very nice commercial advertisement mm-hmm. for anyway. treatment and sobriety. But the reality is, you know, there's, there's a lot someone goes through when they first get sober. And sometimes it's, it's not fun. It's not, not mm. enjoyable, but I do see some people get stuck in a little bit of like that no man's land where they're like, mm. they had chaos in their life. And so much of it was consumed by this. And all of a sudden there's calming and there's some peace, but then all of a sudden they don't know necessarily where to go or what to do. That's a very good point. Cause a lot they, of times they would create the fire with the chaos of drinking and, and drugging. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about redirecting that with, with fire of like passion and, and all those things that can be really good things. But I I don't think people are often taught that or shown that. Well, yeah, I think we're redefining who, like who we are in sobriety and recovery is like, what, what do I like to do? Cause my, a lot of their time, a lot of our time was filled up with connecting over alcohol for me, at least socializing. That's one of the reasons I didn't get sober for so long. I thought, what will I do with my time? It was woven into all my social situations and all my, even my work functions. And I worked in the, you know, I was doing right before COVID, I was 2020 was booked with a ton of corporate work, like keynotes and sessions and travel and that like escape away and party that also my work was embedded in alcohol at all these events. And I thought, what will I do if I don't drink? Well, it's redefining yourself and it's scary. It can be like intimidating in a way or like trying new things, like going to a concert and a knock and drinking doesn't bother me at all. Going to a music festival and thinking no drinking doesn't mean I'm the obsession is lifted for me in terms of drinking based on the work that I've done um, the last year and a bit. But uh, it's it's putting yourself out there and trying new things that are kind of the fire things, because you're right, the calming breath are a bit more safe. 
you know, I like baking and playing with my pets and going for walks and I'm finding this is my breath. But then the, how do I, how am I getting fired up here in my day that doesn't involve a party and my substance? So it's just all new. And I like the idea of like, now we're tying in like movement because there's a lot of times where when I worked in like group home residential, we would try to get them involved in things, you know, like some activities and some interest. And sometimes they, they just hated it. You know, like let's get you guys set up to go like bowling one night just to get them in that terrible time, like horrible time, which I, I understand because what they're going through, what their, their body's going through, what their mind's recovering from, like with getting the substances out of them. It's just, it's, and nothing matches set, right? Like if I got a guy who was using like cocaine and that was such a adrenaline for them, bowling might seem like such a dud, but part of it is when, when people avoid that, like when they avoid moving and, and get stuck with, you know, well, what'd you guys do it? What'd you guys do outside of well group? We sat in group all day. Well, what'd you do after group? Well, you know, we watched TV. Like we're like it's no wonder, no wonder yeah. why sometimes people are stuck in, in no man's land when yeah. there's there's no movement. Like literally that's right. Let's yeah, we, I went for walks movement. all the time at the treatment center. I went for long walks every morning. That's where I got my joy of like walking. I would, I would always think that was, Oh, that's, that's boring. (laughs) And I walked and walked and walked. And that's, that's been a big part of my recovery is walking. And that started at the treatment center because there wasn't any, there wasn't really a lot of programming that was physical. So I thought I'll get up early at six before we started our our group in the morning and I'll go for a long walk in nature. That's going to, that's going to get me going here. And I had some people join and see the benefits of that, but yeah, body movement. And even like back to the bowling thing, we also also don't know, like there's an uncomfortability of being in our own skin and not being, not being drunk or high <laughs> doing an activity. We, we would connect probably normally with something where you could kind of check out. So you actually, it's this idea of like teaching people how to be truly present and finding joy in the moment. And I can do, I can say that out of experience. I do now I can see it with my son, with my friends, going to the batting cages, going to concerts, going to the beach. I don't need anything but the moment to actually find joy in it. And that's new for me. I, I'm glad you brought up the walking with when you were in, in treatment. Cause I had a, I had a guy who this story always, one of the many stories that stands out with, with people I've worked with was there's a guy that, you know, every morning he shot 50 free throws in the driveway and because there wasn't much we could do it was a residential program and it was pretty restrictive where you couldn't leave like the property, which wasn't very big, okay. but every morning he shot 50 free throws. He'd grab basketball, shoot, shoot free throws. Now the other guys in the program weren't a big fan of that because they'd still be trying to sleep or I remember I'd, I'd come in early a couple of times and, um, he, uh, he would, he would shoot hoops. I would, I would talk to him and it, you could, he even talked about the benefit, you know, he's saying, you know, I would get up in the, the fresh air in me and the moving around. It would, you know, it's kind of like he was accomplishing something and he was almost even like a skill, like getting better at it, like every day because he was working at it. And I remember that when we, when he was getting ready to, to be discharged, successfully a a conversation with him occurred where it was he's like I'm really gonna miss this you know Mm -hmm. I was like like miss what he's like well shooting free throws and I'm like why why does it have to stop like why Mm -hmm. why why can't that you know can you not get a hoop where you're going or is there no way you can get a basketball and and go somewhere to to do that but it's like things like that seen as like a time filler seen as you know just something to do to avoid you know being bored Mm -hmm. not looking at the true benefits that movement like that has i think people still don't grasp that about the the benefit of it yeah so like how do how do we educate people on this is not just to you know, bide your time. This isn't just to um, make sure you're moving around because we have to have like a physical activity in our program, but 
how do we educate people more on like really the the benefit of movement what are good talking points with people um i think number one is they have instead of talking about it they have to actually feel it Mm. they have to experience it so if they can get anything i know we can tell them but actually get them up and try something with them so they have to have that buy-in after experiencing it but i i I, it's a that's a tough question because there is resistance around it for so many reasons so i think it's um Oh man, I, th- I think it's finding something that brings them personal joy. So not forcing them to do the basketball shooting or the bowling or the moving with me, whatever I'm doing. It's like having them get curious about what, again, what brought you joy to move when you were a kid? What did you love to do? Oh, I still love my skateboard. Get a skateboard. So make it, I think we have to find people's personal passions and what brought them joy of moving. Oh, I used to love, um, you know, swimming laps. I haven't swam in like probably 20 years find a pool like they're, but we have to get their brain thinking back to what brought them joy, perhaps when they were young, younger in terms of movement. I had a guy say that one of his breath and his inventory was fishing. He had never, he forgot how much he loved fishing. And that was something that, that he added to his breath inventory to remember, to think about go, getting, going fishing for his calm. I do like that idea of individualizing it and trying to find it through them because I think right now yeah what a lot of places and people do is the more of let's find this one activity and then everyone can go do it versus do we even know if that's something they like 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 they want to do I think it's more of like a blanket type thing where it's like well we gotta we got these 12 people in here or 20 people we got to find something that for them to all go do versus more like individualizing like a movement mm-hmm. plan or like a movement absolutely inventory. and that's right and andrew that's what i would love to like i got my recovery coach who did the the 60 hour training back in may of 2021 and i don't know i don't know if i'll ever work as a coach it's just on my it's you know it's in my radar a little bit but this idea of a wellness coach in recovery where I would look at their recovery plan upon exit from a treatment center and say like, what is happening physically? What is your physical plan? What are you doing nutritionally? I'm not a nutritionist, but I can help with that. Absolutely. From being in that world for so long, but where, like, what are you doing for movement in your personal recovery? Like, and, and that, that's where those questions would come out, finding what they loved, trying this, trying that, finding something they're passionate about because they're going to have more success and more accountability if they do something they love. And I like, as we talk about, I think a great, you know, with questions on, you know, like when we first meet people, we do like intakes, assessments, we do treatment plans and we, we try to, you know, pull some things from the individual into their, their plan, you know, like their recovery. Mm-hmm. And we, we ask about like strengths. We ask about, you know, sometimes culture, we ask about like hobbies and activities. I wonder, you know, what it would be like to just as a standard to somewhere like in that area, ask like, what are you doing to move to move or or what, what do you like to do that? Or what did you like? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that can be a healthy coping mechanism for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder what that would be like to start having that question asked like in a, in a very standard, you know, like, assessment, you know, interview, or just just to even see what people would say, you know, just to see what people would start to throw out there. And and even that concept of like, do you think this is something that we can, we can use? So I I definitely know I'm going to start asking that more often when I work with with individuals and to, to talk to other clinicians about that too, because, you know, we're, we're hearing more about it. We're, we're being talked to about it, you know, that, stuff's being shared more. We're seeing people encourage others to practice it. Like we said, at at conferences, we're seeing speakers get clinicians to be a little bit more uncomfortable, but I still think there's a lot of work to do to include this movement with individuals and clients and patients that it's, that's still not at that level where it it needs to be. Mm -hmm. For sure. I totally agree. And I, I, again, I'm getting back to that idea where in their recovery plan, oh, I'm going to, you know, work out three times at the gym. Well, get, let's get realistic. Like, can you, 
Is there a gym nearby? Can you afford it? Are you really going to go? What's your body? Is your body ready to jump into a work workouts? Like, let's take it easy. So being like looking at, yeah, just child, not challenging is the wrong word, but getting curious. There's that word again, getting them to get curious about how they want to move their body and how it's going to benefit them in recovery. Yeah. I mean, it's anyone can do some of the things that you're talking about, you know, very, anybody well- had every type of accessibility, you know, accommodate anybody. It's for, it's for everybody. The movements are for everybody, you know, every, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's great. I really, it, it's just interesting to dive more into it and, and understand, you know, more about what the movement does, the breath, the fire, you know, what we mm-hmm. see out of it, the benefits from it. And I think that's just the, the, the big next step is to do, I know here we are talking about it, but then that the next big step is really for people to start doing it. And the benefits are going to be there like okay. right away. And it doesn't, it, it's, it can be short term that you can feel it. And that in of itself is going to get people to recognize that we just got to try to encourage them to keep doing it. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. This is great. Uh, Thanks for all the information you shared. Where can listeners find more out about you or or learn more about what you have? Where can they find you? They can find me at uh, breathandfire.com or on Instagram. I'm Michelle underscore breath and fire. And the next homecoming program starts October 17th. Um, you can join from anywhere and all the information's on Instagram and on my website. And there's a fall sale right now. And you do not have to be in recovery from substance use. You can be just curious about making a little shift in your life involving movement, meditation, and personal reflection. That's great. I, I, so I just want to again, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about it and share everything that you have about what you're doing. It's exciting stuff. It's in, It's enjoyable. And like we said, we talked a lot about the the benefits with, with something like substance use and addiction and recovery, but it's also something that we can do just to add some, some joy, some, some right. fun, yeah. some entertainment, which everyone can do. So everyone thank can, you. And I always like to say, you know, back to the, the fire analogy, like your inner flame has not gone out. Anybody can find their flame. Yeah. That's amazing. So thank you for, for being a guest and sharing all this information and If anything, we just want to keep talking about people moving and keep on moving. That's right. Thank you, Andrew. Take care. You too.